I remember this was probably 26 years ago or so. My family and I were living in Vermont up north. Um, and one thing Vermont has that Delaware doesn't is, well, a few things. One is a lot of snow, um, but two is mountains. If you've ever noticed, there are no mountains in Delaware. If there's a hill, I don't even know where that is. Um, but in, in Vermont, there are mountains. And we were living there. We were newly married, had some young kids. And a friend of mine says to me one day, hey, you want to go mountain biking sometime? And I thought, that sounds fun. I had actually just bought a mountain bike not that uh, long before to not really go on mountain bike trails, like to ride around town. That's what I did growing up. We rode our bikes around the neighborhood. Um, but I thought, yeah, that sounds fun. Why not? Let's do it. I mean, I'm in my early 20s. I'm in decent shape. Um, I didn't exercise religiously, but regularly. And so I thought this would be good. So one day we, we pick a day, we get up early, crack a dawn, pack up the bikes, off we go. And he brings me to this bike trail. And um, in the first 20 minutes, I'm, I'm doing good. I'm struggling a little bit. About 45 minutes into it, I'm thinking, Jesus, take me. <laughs> I mean, my arms and my shoulders are just... I can barely hold on to the handlebars. My legs are burning. My posterior area, I mean, it was, <laughs> sitting really wasn't much of an option. And, uh, but the worst part was trying to breathe. I mean, my, it was just like, <gasps> I mean, you just couldn't get any oxygen. Your lungs are burning. You're dying. And, uh, and so my friend who did this quite regularly was a great encouragement to me. He just laughed his fool head <laughs> You having fun yet? <laughs> um, so we're probably another hour into it, and, uh, you know, or about an hour, hour and 15 minutes into it. And I'm like, I, I, he was gracious and merciful. He stopped laughing, and he agreed to slow down the pace. And we cut the day way short. Um, and, and we got back, and I, I've never gone mountain biking on mountain bike trails since. Um, <laughs> But, but I learned something uh, profound that day. Actually, two things. The first is I learned that pride will kill you. Uh, you know, sometimes you just got to say, I can't do it. Um, but, but secondarily, what I learned was that when you're oxygen deprived, when your body is starved for oxygen, it affects your entire body. It affects your muscles, your heart, um, your, your lungs. It affects your brain. It, it impacts you in profound ways. Why do I share all that? Because I think in the same way that when we're oxygen deprived, we struggle. I believe so many Christians live spirit deprived lives, spirit deficient lives. We are meant to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. We are meant to live filled with the Holy Spirit, Him empowering us and enabling us. And when we don't, we try and do it on our own strength in our own wisdom, with our own understandings, and it's a struggle. And we're going to talk some more about this next week when we talk about living in the Spirit. But one thing that I have heard, and you maybe you've heard it too, is that the Christian life is so hard. It's so hard. Here's what I've learned. It's hard if you try and do it on your own. Really, it's impossible if you try and do it on your own. There's only one person who ever lived a Christian life perfectly. That's the man, Jesus Christ, who Christianity is named after. He did it perfectly. And you know what? He was filled with the Holy Spirit. When he was baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist, it says the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. And it stayed there. So 
Jesus lived the, whole, the, the Christian life perfectly. We can't, and we certainly can't do it if we do it in our own strength, in our own power. We're meant to walk filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. So before we get into the message this morning, uh, as we kick off this series, The Spirit-Filled Life, I want to just make it clear. If you are a Christian, if you have come to faith in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. It says in the Bible that this Holy Spirit is the seal of the covenant. So you have the Holy Spirit. This isn't about do you have him or you don't. I'm better than you because I have the Holy Spirit and you don't have the Holy Spirit. Nanny, nanny, boo-boo. Um, it's about an infilling of the Holy Spirit. We all have the Holy Spirit. God wants to fill us to overflowing with his Holy Spirit. There's a second work, a filling, a baptism of the Holy Spirit. I don't care what term you use that God wants for us that unleashes his power in our lives. So we have the Holy Spirit. We want to walk fully in his spirit so we don't live oxygen-deprived, spirit-deprived lives, struggling on our own. God doesn't want that for you. He wants us to live victorious, overcomers, doing great things for him. And so as we unpack this series, I hope it will open your eyes to some things uh, that, that God wants to do in and through you by his Holy Spirit that maybe you never understood before. Or maybe you, under, maybe you understood, but you've never fully experienced and so as this series goes on, my hope and my prayer is that you will uh, just be filled to overflowing with the power of the Holy Spirit in your lives in amazing ways, because that's what God wants for all of us. He wants it for you, and he wants that for me. So um, let me give you an understanding of what we're going to be talking about here, the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, if you're familiar with Jesus, he came to earth some 2,000 years ago, God in the flesh. And he lived for about 33, 34 years here on earth. At the end of his life, he willingly uh, surrendered his life, sacrificed his life. He died a horrible death, but nobody forced him to do it. He chose to do it. He chose to be obedient to God the Father, and he died on the cross. And he was put in a tomb. After three days, he was raised from the dead supernaturally. Now, before his death, before his burial, and before his resurrection, he told his followers, his closest friends, he said, listen to me, I'm going to be going through some stuff. I'm going to be put to death. But it's better for you that that happens because when that happens, when I die, when I'm raised from the dead, and then I'm going to go and, and be seated at the right hand of God, the Father in heaven. When that happens, it's more beneficial to you because then I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. and He's going to empower you. And so sure enough, Jesus goes through this horrific death. He's raised from the dead. And for 40 days after his resurrection, for 40 days, he hangs out with his followers and he's teaching them things and he's opening their eyes to things. But after 40 days, he says, now, I'm, he's in Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem. He's teaching. Him. He says, now, stay here in Jerusalem. Don't go anywhere. Just stay here and wait. I am going back to the right hand of God the Father. I'm going to be seated in heaven. And when I do, just wait here, wait here, wait here. Don't go anywhere. Just wait. Because I am going to send the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, it's going to be amazing. This is actually what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1. He said, when the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power. You will receive power when he comes upon you. So now for another 10 days, they're waiting. And they're waiting. And they're wondering, when is the Holy Spirit going to come? So it's been 50 days since Jesus' resurrection. It's a Jewish, it happens to be a Jewish celebration. It's 50 days after Passover, after Shabbat, 50 days later, it's called Pentecost. So it's on the day of Pentecost. It's a, a Jewish celebration. And on that day, 10 days after Jesus had gone back to heaven, the Holy Spirit is poured out. 
and the church is birthed, and it turned the world upside down. This is what it says in Acts chapter 2. It says, suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing, rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, and they were all, everyone say all. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Not some of them, not the select few, not just the 12. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, it's interesting when we read the word spirit, it also means wind or breath. It's the breath of God. Right? When God created in, in Genesis chapter 1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And what, how did he do it? He spoke. The breath of God whew, created everything. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. And so now these men and these women that were in this room waiting and waiting and waiting, all of a sudden they experienced something. They're no longer oxygen deprived. They received the breath of God. They're no longer spirit deficient. They are filled with the Holy Spirit and it radically changes their life. I mean, they go from afraid and timid, hiding, worried, to bold, proclaiming who God is, ready to sacrifice everything. Because the Holy Spirit filled them. God used them in miraculous ways to do miracles, signs, wonders, to have words of prophecy, words of knowledge, to write the words of the scriptures that we are recorded for us in the Bible. God used them in supernatural ways as they were filled with this earth-shaking power of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the thing. It wasn't just for them then. It's for us now. God didn't say, I'm giving them the Holy Spirit to start the church. He said, I'm giving them the Holy Spirit to start the church, but I'm going to pour out my Spirit on all people. Everyone in that room received the Holy Spirit. So later on, that same day, day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit pours out. They go out into the streets. They start proclaiming who God is. Peter gets up, and he preaches a message. And in that message, 3,000 people in the, in the moment come to faith in Jesus Christ. While he's speaking, this is what Peter says. He says, for the promise of the Spirit, the giving of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit is for you. It's for your children. And it's for all people who believe. So he's, he's, he's telling them, listen, if you come to faith in Jesus Christ, there's something unique that God wants for you. He's not just going to give you the Holy Spirit. He's going to then fill you with the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not just for us that we're in the room that the Holy Spirit poured out on. It's for you who's listening right now. But it's not just for you. You're going to go home and tell your friends, your family, your children. And it's for them. But it's not just for us and for you and for your family. It's for generations to come, for anyone who will believe. For them then and for us now, God wants that um, earth-shattering, uncontainable, uh, just pulsating, intense power of the Holy Spirit to be poured into your life and into my life so that we can no longer try to operate by our own ability, but in his strength. Because the Christian life is not possible on your own. So what is the key? How do we walk and experience the power of the Holy Spirit? How do we begin to see it manifest in our lives? Well, I could tell you a few things. You do not experience the power of the Holy Spirit because you pray for hours and hours and hours, though you ought to pray. Prayer is important. You will not experience the power of the Holy Spirit because you read your Bible all the time and you know uh, every verse from cover to cover. Although you ought to know what the Word of God says, it's full of promises for your life. You will not receive the power of the Holy Spirit and walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and experience the power of the Holy Spirit because you tithe. But you ought to tithe. You ought to bring back 10% of what God gives you back to the church. That's what the tithe is and it's what God asks 
of us. You will not experience the power of the Holy Spirit because you live a life of service and sacrifice, although you ought to live a life of service and sacrifice to others, to your spouse, to your children, to your neighbors, to your family, to your church. Now, you'll experience the power of the Holy Spirit. It's so, so simple, but so very difficult. Here it is. The key to experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit is surrender. Remember, there was this man named John the Baptist. He's the one who baptized Jesus. I mentioned him earlier. At one point, he says, Jesus must increase, which means I have to decrease. The more we surrender, the more we lay down, the more we say, I'm not going to do this on my own, the more and more and more the power of the Holy Spirit comes alive in our hearts, in our lives, through our lives. This is what Zechariah wrote. He said, you will not succeed by your own strength or by your own power, but by the Spirit says the Lord, by my spirit, if you want to have success in the Christian life, if you want to experience the power of the Holy Spirit, you have to make a choice. Are you going to try and endeavor to do everything by your strength, by your wisdom, by your understanding, by your own abilities, or are you going to say, I can't do it? Because you were never meant to. See, we come to faith and we say, God, I, I couldn't forgive my own sins. I need you to, hate, to, to save me. I need you to heal me. I need you to restore me into relationship with God. So it's like before we come to faith, we're on the outside. I've used this illustration before. We're on the outside of a skyscraper. And we say, I know I, I can get to the top. I'll scale it from the outside. And we try and try and try. And we can't get more than 6, 8, 10, 12 feet up. And we fall. And then we come to faith. And it's like the door's open. And we walk in. And now we're in God's presence. And then we say, now by my own strength and ability... I can make it to the top, and we hit the stairs and start going. But just like me on a mountain bike, eventually we realize we're oxygen-deprived. We don't have the ability. We don't have the strength. We can never get to the top, no matter how hard we try, because you're trying on your own strength and in your own power. The key is the power of the Holy Spirit, where you don't try and scale the outside of the building. You don't try and walk up the stairs. You go to the elevator, and you push the button. And you step into that elevator, and all the work is done for you. And God brings you to the place where he wants to bring you. So we have to say, I can't do this. It's, listen, surrender is the key to everything in the Christian life. How come my finances aren't where I want them? You have to surrender your finances to God. How come my relationships aren't the way I want them? You have to surrender your relationships. How come my life? How come my this? How, you fill in the blank. You have to surrender it to God. And if you want to see the power of the Holy Spirit manifest in your life, you have to surrender your strength, your power, your wisdom, your understanding to God. See, you can't have it both ways. You can either do it on your own or you can rest in God's power. You can either do it in your own strength or you can trust in God's strength. That's why Paul wrote, uh, when I am weak, then I am strong. When I realize my strength isn't enough and God's strength is more than enough. And what happens is as you begin to surrender to the Holy Spirit, you surrender your, your abilities, your strength, your wit, you surrender all those things, and you begin to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, some amazing things happen. I want to look at just five things that are uh, a result of the power of the Holy Spirit active in your life as you surrender to him. Here's the first. The power of the Holy Spirit transforms you. You are meant to be different. You are meant to be changed. You are meant to not um, constantly live trying to fix your own self. God wants to fix you. He wants to change you. He wants to transform you. 
See, so often we think, okay, now I came to faith and it's all about changing my behaviors. Well, behavior modification is fine and it's good and some of those behaviors are better to not have than to have. But God's not really interested in behavior modification. He's interested in character transformation, which means changing you from the inside out. And I don't know about you, but I've learned I can't change myself. So we have to learn to rely on the strength of the Holy Spirit. This is what it says in Galatians. It says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Be filled by the power of the Holy Spirit and he will change you. In Philippians, it says, it is God who is at work in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. God's Spirit inside of you both changes your desires and your actions. You can try really, really hard. You can go talk to therapists and professionals and counselors. And sometimes we need that. And I'm not against that. We support that. We, uh, we help people find counselors. We help cover the cost for counselors. All those kinds. I believe in that. But ultimately, it has to happen through the inner work of the Holy Spirit. A counselor, a therapist, anyone in the, that role. That's why we, we direct people to Christian counselors. Because they bring the word of God to bear on that person's life. They bring the spirit of God to bear in that person's life. And they are just helping them to open their hearts up, their spirits up, their mind up more and more to the mind of the spirit, to the heart of God who does a transformative work. So those people are helpful. But ultimately, the change happens because of God. And all of a sudden, you don't live the same way you lived. See, as God moves in your life and you no longer uh, live to satisfy your own self, he does something. He grows something in you. And it's called the fruit of the Spirit. This is what it says later in Galatians. It says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, I just want to point out, you can take it, leave it. You do what you want with this, but I'm just telling you. The word fruit doesn't have an S at the end. It's not fruits of the Spirit. It's not, uh, it's not pick and choose, right? There's a bunch of fruits. Which ones do you want? It's fruit. When the Holy Spirit is active and powerful in your life, you either have all the fruit of the Spirit or you're operating on your own ability. So you say, I have kindness, but I don't have gentleness. Then, then you're operating on your own ability, your own strength. You're trying to cultivate gentleness in your life to the, the detriment of kindness. You're trying to have self-control, but you don't have patience. You could can, you can pick and choose. Now, to be sure, they don't all grow at the same rate. Sometimes one is bigger. It's, it's more uh, uh, full in your life. It's cultivated at a different rate. So you might have a bigger a measure of patience, and you're, and you're growing in kindness. But if you say, hey, it's just, you know, I, I can't have self-control. It's not in my nature. I mean, I'm just, my, my personality, I'm just, I'm just intense. I just can't be gentle. I can't be gentle with my wife. She ticks me off. I let her know what she has, and that's just the way I am. Then you're operating in your own strength, and you haven't surrendered to the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, I don't like that, Pastor. Well, I'm sorry, but that's what the Bible teaches us. That the fruit of the Spirit, all these things ought to be evident in your life when the Holy Spirit is empowering you and you surrender to his strength, to his power, to his might, and you don't operate on your own. So listen, some of you guys, I'm just going to say it straight out. You need to surrender your lives to the power of the Holy Spirit because you are gonna, you're going to cause your children and your wife all kind of, you are doing it. Because you think you're justified in doing what you're doing. And you have to at some point say, I'm going to surrender. I'm going to surrender. I'm going to surrender. Wives, 
I'm not letting you off the hook either. I'm always harder on the men. But listen, ladies, some of you are just, they're just neurotically compulsive over your children. You have to at some point say, I can't control them. I have to trust God in those situations. It doesn't matter what the situation is. At some point, you have to surrender to God and let his power move in you. The other part is this, in the transformation. Now listen, when I say your transformed life, God is changing your character. There's a um, fancy term. You may have heard it. It's a theological term. People who are really smart and have a bunch of letters after their name use this just so they sound really smart and can justify having all the letters after their name. It's called sanctification. All sanctification means is that God is transforming your character. He's making you more and more like Jesus. He is working on you to be more holy. He's sanctifying you. And the fruit of the Spirit are the evidence of that. We can't sanctify ourselves. We can't change ourselves. But part of that transformation, uh, that transformational work of the Holy Spirit is sometimes he'll bring conviction when you sin, when you've uh, done something, you've hurt someone else, you've violated God's holiness. And all of a sudden you feel just horrible about it. You can't sleep. You can't turn your mind off. It's just eating away at you. That's God's conviction through the Holy Spirit because he wants to change you. He says, don't live like that. I want better for you. I want something richer, fuller, more meaningful. Don't do that anymore. And so at that point, when his conviction comes, this is what you do. You call out to God and say, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so, so sorry. Please forgive me. And then if you violated someone else, if you hurt someone else, if you sinned against someone else, you don't just go to God and ask him to forgive you. That's the coward's way. No, then you have to go to that person and say, hey, I did this and I was wrong. And I damaged you and I hurt you and I am so, 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 I wish I could take it back. I can't. Will you please forgive me? When you go to God, he'll always forgive you. You never have to worry about that. When you go to them, they may or may not forgive you. But in God's economy, you've done everything you can do. So now, as we talked about in this series, I am, who does God say I am? You are no longer condemned. You are free. Walk free of guilt, shame, and condemnation. But the thoughts come back to me. Then you remind yourself, I'm forgiven. But I still feel guilty. You remind yourself, I'm free. But that person didn't forgive me. Then that's between them and God. You've done everything you can do to make that right. But they won't talk to me anymore. Then that's their decision because you hurt them and wounded them. But you can be free. Don't live under condemnation, but respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Because if you don't, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, or 4, verse 16, or no, verse 2, I believe it is, it says you can actually sear your conscience to the point where you'll no longer feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You'll begin to justify your actions, think you're validated in doing them, and continue to live that way. And therefore, you're operating in your own strength. The fruit of the Spirit don't manifest in your life, and everything falls apart. So allow the Holy Spirit to transform you and change you by his transformative work and by his convicting of sin in your life. The next thing is this. When you surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit, he'll embolden you to share your faith. I think most of us say, I want to, you know, I want to be able to tell people about my relationship with God. I want, to, I want them to experience the same life-giving relationship with God and through Jesus Christ that I have. And yet so many of us struggle in doing that. It's because I believe we try and do it on our own. Here's what it says in Acts chapter 4. It says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all, again, they were all filled, not some of them, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. God wants to embolden you to share your faith. 
If you do it on your own, you end up messing it up. I mean, have you, have you ever tried to tell someone about Jesus and it just feels like you're just hitting a brick wall? And so you know what we say afterward? Well, at least I planted a seed. You may have planted a seed. Or you may have just operated in your own strength, in your own power, in your own understanding. Uh, so let me give you an example. Uh, I don't know if you're a handy person, you like to do projects around your house or whatever it is, but uh, I'm always doing stuff like that. And if you've ever done a project and you don't have the right tool, it makes the project way, 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 way more difficult. So I remember one time I was changing the oil in my car and I don't know who had changed the oil last, if it was a mechanic or if there was a, something got sealed in the engine or whatever, but I could not for the life of me get the oil filter off. I mean, it didn't matter what position I got myself in to try and get enough leverage and torque on that. It wouldn't budge. And, and I'm just getting more and more frustrated, more angry. I'm smashing my knuckles. They're bleeding everywhere. I am just, because I didn't have the tool I needed, what I needed was an oil filter wrench. What I had was not one. So, I'm, just, I'm just frustrated now. So I do, the only thing I knew how to do, I take my screwdriver that's about that long and I jam it through the oil filter case, get it on there, get enough torque, finally spin the thing loose. I was frustrated. I wasted time. I damaged the old oil thing. It's all running down my arms, all on the driveway, and, and, and it just was frustrated. Wasted time because I didn't have the right tool. The next time I went to change the oil, I had an oil filter wrench. The thing came right off just like it was supposed to. Why do I share that? Because it's the same way in sharing our faith. There are times where we say all the, we know all the right things to say. We, we have the quotes from the Bible. We have all the, the, the scientific debates from Ken Ham. We know all the right things to say, and yet we turn that person off because we cause more damage than help because we're operating in our own strength and our own ability. But when we operate through the Holy Spirit, one word spoken, empowered by the Holy Spirit can soften the hardest heart. But a whole lot of words spoken in your own strength and power can cause more damage and that person walks away from Jesus and never wants anything to do with him. So you have to say, I don't want to operate in my own strength and my own power. I want to operate empowered and emboldened by the Holy Spirit so that I can see people experience life-changing relationship with God through Jesus Christ. The next thing is this, as you surrender to the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit provides you with spiritual gifts. Now, I'm not going to unpack all that that means. In a couple weeks, I'm going to do a whole message on the gifts of the Spirit. But I just want to say, this is what it says in 1 Corinthians. It says, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. God has a gift for you. He has a gift for me. He wants us to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. Then say, I've got a gift for some of you. I've got a gift for all of you so we can serve each other, so we can serve the church, and so we can advance God's kingdom. So when it comes to spiritual gifts, there's kind of two um, opposite and equal reactions. One is to overemphasize the gifts. where It's almost like we're worshiping the spiritual gifts. Ooh, I have this one. Oh, I have this one. Ooh, I wish I had that one. Um, and, and if you don't have this one, you're not even a Christian. I mean, you know, because you got to have this one, even though it doesn't say that in the Bible. We elevate them to a point of ridiculousness. So the goal isn't to overemphasize them because we don't focus on the gifts. We focus on the giver of the gifts. That's why in Hebrews it says, fix your eyes on the gifts. No, it says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author, the finisher, the perfecter of your faith. 
But the opposite side of that is that some people say we devalue the gifts. We don't want them. We reject them. They're not for today. Well, why would you reject the thing that God has for you? Why would you be afraid of something that God has given you? Embrace the gifts, but focus on Jesus. Right? He, a parent, right? If you're a parent and you wrap up a gift for your kids and you give it to them on their birthday, you say, I got this for you. And the kid says, I don't want it. What do you mean you don't want it? You don't even know what's in it. I don't want it. You'd feel like, Ooh, you don't even appreciate. Or they open it and they go, yeah, thanks. And they throw it to the corner. No, you want them to enjoy it, to be blessed by it, to use it, for it to be a value to them. That's what God wants for you and for me. That's why later on in 1 Corinthians, it says this, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit. Desire them. Want them. Walk in them. Because God will use them in powerful ways in your life. The next thing that happens is you begin to surrender your power, your strength, your wisdom, your understanding to the the Holy Spirit is this. The Holy Spirit engages you in worship. The power of the Holy Spirit engages you in worship. What do I mean by that? So often, we can look at worship as, um, you know, when I'm talking about worship, I'm not talking about a lifestyle of worship and, you know, uh, living a living sacrifice, which is our worship. I, I understand that's in the Bible. I'm talking about what we do in, in singing songs, whether it's corporately or privately in our lives, right, individually. Singing, worshiping, all those kind of things. So often, we, we make it about what we like. So we're operating in our own power and our own strength. If I don't like that style of music, if I don't like that environment that they set, if I don't like the, how many times they sang that chorus, if I don't like the key that they sang it in, if I don't like the instruments that they're using, therefore, uh, that's not real worship. Well, that's about you and your wisdom and your strength and your understanding. The power of the Holy Spirit inside of you can allow any environment where worship to God is happening to fill your heart and life. This is what it says in Ephesians. It says, let the Spirit fill your life. And when you do, you'll meet together. You'll sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs as praise, as you praise the Lord with all your heart. In other words, at some point you have to say, it's not about my preference, it's about the Holy Spirit. I have been in environments where I have been surrounded by hundreds and hundreds of people singing songs and hymns that were written hundreds of years ago, of which I never heard. I didn't grow up singing hymns. It's all new songs to me. Some of you are like, I've been singing them since before I was born. My mom was singing them to me. Oh, that's great, good for you. They're all new to me. But you know what? It's worship. That's worship to God. I've been in, in churches where it's quiet and it's a cappella and it's almost like Gregorian chants and it's worship to God. And I've been in worship concerts where they have light and sound and haze and all that stuff and it's worship to God. And if you say, I can't worship God in that environment, then I'm telling you, you're operating not in the power of the Holy Spirit, but in your own power, your own preference, your own wisdom, your own understanding. But that's, that's, that doesn't do anything for me. We all have preferences. You may not like that. When you're at home, play the music you like. But you can engage God in deeper worship when you're empowered by his Holy Spirit. Because here's the thing about worship that is so amazing. And maybe you never understood this. Worship is eternal. When we get to heaven, you know what continues? Our worship to God. The Bible tells us God inhabits the praises of his people. In the book of Revelation, we see over and over again that in heaven, part of what will be happening, and there'll be a lot of stuff happening, heaven isn't just a perpetual church service, but part of 
uh, our eternity spent with God, heaven here on earth, is singing praise to God. You know what won't be in heaven? Evangelism. You'll never have to share your faith with anyone in heaven because everyone who's there is saved. You know what won't be in heaven? Some of you are going to love this one, preaching. There's no preaching in heaven. You won't have to preach anymore. So I'm just praying to God that in my glorified body, I'll have a voice that can sing well because all my practice and preaching will be done. So I'll work on preaching now and just believe for a voice that's like an angel in heaven. You know what won't be in heaven? Spiritual gifts. There'll be no spiritual gifts in heaven. But what will be in heaven, what's eternal, is our praise to God. So when you begin to surrender yourself and you're filled with the power of your Holy Spirit, your worship, your praise becomes more impactful, deeper, more meaningful. It moves you in a deeper and deeper and deeper way. And it doesn't have to be demonstrative. You might not be a person who raises your hands and cries, but it will move you in the deepest parts of who you are. And the last thing is this. As you surrender your power to the power of the Holy Spirit, he will direct your life. He'll direct your life on an amazing journey. He'll take you places you never thought you were going to go. He'll, meet you, he'll introduce you to people you never thought you were going to meet. It'll be an amazing journey because that's what he wants for you. This is what it says. All who are led by God's Spirit are God's sons and daughters. If you are in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, if you're surrendering your life to the power of the Holy Spirit, not walking in your own strength, not sending your own path, not making your own decisions, but being sensitive to the leading and the guiding of the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden he's going to direct you in amazing ways. He's going to lead you into conversations that you didn't plan. He's going to lead you into um, moments that are unscheduled. He's going to lead you to appointments that you didn't even know were going to happen. And in those conversations, in those moments, in those appointments, it will be life-changing and history-shaping and eternity-changing uh, for those people and for you because you're saying, God, lead me. God, God, guide me. God, direct me. And if you don't, you'll miss out on so, so many things that God wants to do in and for you. When you submit yourself, you surrender yourself to the power of the Holy Spirit, all these things, the ways he directs you become life-giving moments. So that's what it means. 2,000 years ago, the Holy Spirit came like a rushing, mighty wind. Right this last week, we had some high winds here in the state. And we didn't have the windows back in the, in the lobby. They just got put in this week. But it was the beginning of the week. The windows weren't in. We had tarps covering the windows. And I was here at the church, and I was standing in the lobby. And I could just hear that wind howling. It was intense, and it was powerful, and those tarps were shaking. And I just closed my eyes, and I began to pray, God, move like that. Holy Spirit, move like that in the hearts and lives of the people here at Hickory Ridge. God, move in such an intense way that it will shake us to the core of who we are, and it will radically change us. Just like it did 2,000 years ago, we don't want to be oxygen-deprived. We don't want to be spirit-deprived. We want to be filled with Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit. What would your life look like if that happened? If all of a sudden transformation happened in your life? What would happen if all of a sudden you began to have more boldness in sharing your faith? If the gifts of the Spirit began to operate more fully? If all of a sudden your worship brought you to a place of greater intimacy with the heart of your Heavenly Father? And what if He began to direct your steps in a way that everywhere you went you saw these life-giving opportunities? 
That's what God wants for you and for me. So many of us live oxygen deprived. But what if you stop living oxygen deprived and instead transformation happened? Instead of going home and yelling at your spouse, what if all of a sudden self-control, kindness, gentleness became the hallmarks of your life? What if transformation happened to such a degree that instead of allowing emotions to lead you, you had patience in every situation? What if all of a sudden, instead of your kids wondering what is the matter with mom and dad, why is our, why is our home and our family like this? Worship permeated your home and it became the environment in which you all celebrated God what if instead of trying to convince people that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, because you have such a radically transformed life, just by looking at you, they could see the goodness of God. Just by looking at you, they could see the kindness of God. Because they see someone whose life has been radically transformed. You aren't the same anymore. What if your life was so directed by the Holy Spirit? That everything you said, everywhere you went, everything you did, your actions and your behaviors, your words were life-giving. I'm telling you, it would turn your world and the lives of so many other people upside down. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now. And God, I'm asking you right now, move. Move in our hearts. Move in our lives. In just a few moments as you begin to just pray. You know if you need this, but just pray. In just a few moments, I'm going to pray that you, if you want, I'm going to pray that you'd receive, be filled with the Holy Spirit. You may not feel anything. We don't base our faith on our feelings. You may not have an emotional moment, but that's okay. We don't base our trust in God on our emotions. We trust that Jesus is going to do what he said he's going to do. And he said, if you as human beings who are not perfect, you're evil, sometimes you're corrupt, sometimes you hurt each other. If you as imperfect parents can give great gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly Father who is perfect give you the gift of the Holy Spirit when you ask? So we're going to ask and we're going to believe and we're going to stand in faith. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you would say right now, Pastor, I need that radical transformation in my life. I can't live like this anymore. It's killing me. It's killing my wife. It's killing my family. It's killing my children. It's destroying my career. Pastor, I can't live like this anymore. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm distant from my parents. I feel like I'm just spinning my wheels trying to make everything work because you're relying on your own strength and your own power. God wants you to surrender. God wants you to surrender. God wants you to surrender and allow His perfect power to move in you and through you because when you're weak, you'll be made strong. So if that's you, if you would say, I, I need that, I want that transformative, powerful work of the Holy Spirit in my life, in my heart right now, that my worship would come alive, that it would be real, it would be intimate, that I'd be led and guided by the Holy Spirit. If that's you right where you are, just raise your hand. Just have the boldness to say, I want that, I want that, I want that. I want that in my life. Now I'm going to say this. We'll adjust however we need to adjust. But if you're here and you're serving, you're on the worship team, you're in the tech team, and that's you, and you know you need this, we can run without you. We'll make it work. 
I don't care if we lose our online feed. What God wants to do in your heart at this moment will define your life. So here's what I'm going to ask. If you raised your hand, if you would just stand to your feet right now. Just stand to your feet. Because this is about surrender. Say, I want that power in my life. I want that power in my life. I want that power in my life. I want that filling of the Holy Spirit. I want that transformative work. I'm tired of living like this. Now, if everyone, whether you, whether you raise your hand and stood to your feet or not, if everyone would stand to your feet, we're going to worship God here together in just a moment. And as we sing these songs, I'm going to be up front. There'll be other prayer teams here, and we're just going to pray that you would receive the Holy Spirit, that you'd be filled with the Holy Spirit in the power and the authority in the name of Jesus, that you would be filled with the Holy Spirit. A transformation would happen. That worship would come alive that boldness would manifest itself, that gifts of the Spirit would operate, and that He would direct your life. You may not feel anything, but I'm telling you, this may be that defining moment that changes everything. So as we worship, please, please come forward and let the Holy Spirit fill you.